Life Audio. Welcome to the Homeschooling Families Podcast. I'm Leslie Nunnery, and I am so glad you're here. Steve Noble is joining me today. Steve is the host of The Steve Noble Show, a nationally syndicated daily Christian talk show, and he also launched Noble U in 2022 to add online classes after having taught over 600 high school students locally since 2011. Steve joined us at our event in Pigeon Forge this year, and the response to his workshop was overwhelming. I had people stopping me in the halls to tell me all about it, so I'm really excited to discuss how we can disciple our teens as we teach important subjects like history, civics, ethics, and so on. I imagine we'll all learn a lot as Steve shares with us today, so stay tuned. Steve, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate the invite. Again, it's great to uh, be a part of what you're doing. Well, we are thrilled, and I'm I'm just eager to hear more about what you were talking about on site. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but I want you to tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background. I know that you have a, a talk show that you've done for quite a few years. I think you said since 2007. Yeah. You've been teaching online for a couple of years, but you had taught locally for a long time before that. So why don't you catch us up a little bit on just kind of where you're coming from and what what doors God has opened for you so that you've gotten to where you are? <laughs> yeah, it's been a, a wild, long story. I would say that my wife and I were married in 92. We were both born again in 94. She grew up Catholic. I grew up Presbyterian Methodist. So we have a, a great opportunity when we share our story to kind of cover both sides of that discussion, but homeschooling started for us. It was first with my wife. I ran a small house painting company, pretty big locally, but it's a house painting company. And we were just kind of minding our own business, doing our little homeschool, self-employed life. And sometimes my wife, Gina, will lament, (laughs) wishing we could go back to the simple earlier days because life has not been simple since God began to move. But really, it, it started in 2001. I had a really intense experience in New York City just two months after 9-11, I went to Africa in 2002 on a mission trip, 2004, God just orchestrated some wild events, and I became a Christian activist here in Raleigh, North Carolina. That blew up quickly. Within five months, we had a crowd of 14,000 in an arena with Dr. Dobson leading up to the 2004 elections, and things just took off quickly. So I became a Christian activist first. And then radio started. We did a big Harvest Crusade with Greg Laurie, which is kind of like a modern Billy Graham crusade. Mm-hmm. We did that here in the summer of 2007. That's when God really started to work on my heart, Leslie, because one of the things about being a conservative culture warrior, and this is my experience, I hope it's not true for every Christian that goes down this road, but the culture war tends to breed self-righteousness as you spend so much time looking at the culture that's dark and lost and depraved. You can feel pretty good about yourself. And so it tends to breed self-righteousness. I think it really hurts sanctification. And you forget the gospel. We hear a lot in our circles, hey, you know, we want God to save America. I think God's more interested in seeing Americans saved. Of course, the nation matters. We have 340 million neighbors. But that's the road I was on. And then when we did the Harvest Crusade here locally, which was purely evangelistic, you know, I realized I was really the big cheerleader for the 
culture wars here locally and across North Carolina in many ways, but I wasn't a big cheerleader for the gospel. And so I had things upside down. And God really did a work in my heart that year in 2007. That was a three-night crusade, 42,000 people. It was crazy. And radio started five months after that. Wow. Because God had to deal with my heart before he would let me in front of a microphone. So that's where I have an interesting blend on the radio and in my classes and like when I spoke at the Teach Them Diligently conference that Tim Keller, the pastor that passed away recently, has a sermon I've listened to many times. He said, if you're all truth and no grace, you're a bully, which was me. If you're all grace and no truth, you're a coward, which is what a lot of our teenagers are struggling with. And John chapter 1, verse 14, Jesus is full of both grace and truth. And so I do not come at any of these subjects, my radio show, a convention, breakout session, whatever. I don't come at them primarily as an American. I come at all this as a Christian who, by God's grace, lives in America. And I love this country and I appreciate this country. But that's a small K kingdom versus a big K kingdom. Right. So that's on one hand when I deal with cultural issues and politics and the classes I teach. On the other hand, as a father with four kids that we homeschooled, all four of them, we learned a lot of lessons. I did a lot of things wrong. I kind of treated them like my audience. I pontificated a lot. I was not a good listener. And so one of the things that occurred in that session, Leslie, there at Teach Them Diligently, is I am uncomfortably honest about some of that stuff, including our 22-year-old son, who is a father and engaged to be married. Mm-hmm. And so I put a picture of that up on the screen and I say, hey, and this is our 22-year-old son and these are his two kids. And this is his fiance. And then I just pause. Because I know the wheels are turning. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so um, there's people in this room that need to hear what I'm about to say. Good Christian parents can have kids that make bad decisions. And let's go back to the perfect parent, the perfect situation, and how'd that go? Both Adam and Eve fell. So I, I teach out of and speak out of my own personal journey, the scripture, the truth of God's word, what he's done in our life. And quite frankly, some of the pain that I've experienced and that I've inflicted as a result of, of things that I didn't do right. So oftentimes now, Leslie, in the classroom, I've got 200 students registered right now for this fall, both in person and online. I, I teach out of that. I speak out of that. And, and, and I look at it like the Lord has given me another chance to maybe get back some of the years that the locusts have eaten. Yeah. And so I, I'm, like I said, I can be uncomfortably honest. But the truth is what we're all about. That's what I'm all about. That's what Noble U is all about. That's what the radio show is all about. And the truth isn't always pretty and it's not always comfortable. So there you go. Right. Since you asked. (laughs) Well, no, and I so appreciate Mm -hmm. your noting how you were elevating the wrong thing. And actually, you know, that kind that thread you actually see all through your testimony where it's so easy to lose sight of what's so important, the gospel, the discipleship opportunities, the hearts, you know, and we we major on these other things that are lesser things, whether it be, you know, our, our cultural identity to, you know, the checklist that we're trying to adhere to. And there, I, I think that with maturity, there comes a humility, there comes a depth of relationship that allows you to, to line things up so much better. And as believers, we should be striving towards that maturity and really part of discipling our kids and, and you know, teaching these teens that you're doing and and really, uh, you know, with us mentoring and, and shepherding parents and, and children, 
trying to to use leverage what God has brought into our lives and the lessons that he's taught us by doing things wrong, by stubbing our toe. We can leverage all of that for their sake so that they can learn it sooner. They can get that that humility to see themselves more as the servant that they are called to be and and to line things up with the gospel and and doing the work of the the capital kingdom is so important. And all these other things line up so much better. It removes so much friction when we get everything lined up correctly. So I appreciate your actually kind of detailing your journey to get there. Yeah, it's it's and and God is using it. And that's I, I walk a fine line with my family because I'm a public person with a radio show. Okay, Steve, you're sharing too much. I'm like, okay, honey, I'll I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll uh, gear it back. But but they know our kids know. My wife knows that none of this is ours. It's all the Lord's, and we're just right. stewards of it, including the stuff that's not great and not pretty. But you know, we've been around homeschooling for a long time. I gave it. I used to give a talk several years ago here in North Carolina. It was called the ugly side of homeschooling, which kind of dealt with some of the things that most of us deal with. We don't like to talk about it a lot, but we should. Yeah. You know, and, and we do the same thing at church. You know, we hey, you're too blessed to be depressed. Nice to see you, brother. Nice to see you, sister, and act like everything's <laughs> fine. Somewhere in this house, I don't think it's oh yeah, it's right over there on a bookcase. It says, Remember, as far as anybody knows, we're a nice normal family. You know, and, and that's exactly that's not true of anybody's <laughs> family. So there's a lot of humor in there, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a man on a mission. And so as the Lord has grown you, as he has given you more opportunities, as you have become this man on a mission, what really is your mission? What are all of these things directing you to do? What is God doing through you right now? Somebody asked me recently, Leslie, they say because I've been involved in so much politics, which is how teaching started with civics, the first class I taught. Hey, Steve, what, what are you really working on in terms of legislation these days? And I said, well, to tell you the truth, the legislation I'm really trying to affect isn't going to occur for another 20, 30 or 40 years. Because even though I'm on the radio five days a week, I talk to I basically talk to us. We're my audience, mature Christians, conservative Christians yeah. for the most part. That's great. And that has a that has an important role. And I'm a conservative Christian. Politically, I'm conservative. I, I laugh and tell people I'm so far to the right. I'm about to fall off the flat earth. But that's that's <laughs> that, that's secondary because what I've seen in our own kids and with all these teenagers that I've taught over the years, over 800 now, is that they're being raised in homes like mine, like this one. Very conservative parents. They they can parrot the right answers. They know what the right answers are. They can't necessarily develop them intellectually or theologically. And they're in a world that we can't relate to, quite frankly, because they have so much information coming at them. Yeah. We we have never experienced this as a teenager. There's been no generation in the history of the world that's experienced what our teenagers are experienced experiencing. And I've just seen it in the classroom where, where quite frankly, and I said this at the co- the convention, the vast majority of them are not ready. And what they're what I see them doing is just kind of pulling back. And we're just going to stay over here, which is what I used to be. I call that abandonment theology. I know the end of the book. At the end of the book, we win. So in the meantime, I'm just going to take care of me, myself, and I, my family, and watch it all swirl down the toilet. Except we don't have that option as a Christian, as a follower of Christ. I am surrounded by neighbors. And so you have to engage in the gospel as a moral solution to a moral problem. We're in this country right now, Leslie. where I tell my students this all the time. I said, listen, this country is quickly abandoning any thought of morality. And if you abandon morality in general, 
Why do you need the gospel? You're fine. You, you don't have to worry about it. Saved from what? Yep. And so our kids, these teenagers, man, what an incredible opportunity they have as the light gets, uh, as the world gets darker. And they can just be, and I and really, I'm trying to teach them all the time how to be shrewd as vipers and gentle as doves. The culture war, MAGA hat wearing, wave the flag, go dive in the middle of the crowd approach will not work in their generation. And so they, they have to be different. Hold that thought. We will be right back after a short break. Yes, I, well, absolutely. And one thing that I have found that really caught me off guard is that in talking to my young adults now, I, my oldest is 23, my baby is almost 17. So, you know, we're skewing in this young adult arena and their perspective on things where they have been trained, they've been given a really good foundation, both biblically, but also how to think critically and discern. They know history. They've got this great foundation. So to hear them talk about the way that their generation thinks or responds is fascinating to me. And it's also incredibly instructive to me. And I think as parents, we have got to actually engage in those conversations with our children, because first of all, we need to help them be prepared to engage their own generation. But also, if we aren't engaging with this generation, there's, you know, we're really not fulfilling what God has called us to do to reach down and mentor and shape and, and invest in the lives of those coming up behind us. How have you found kind of the, the different thinking of this, this younger generation? How is that? How do you see that impacting both culture, but also with your own children? Yeah. The, you know, the Joshua generation only took one generation because they stopped talking about it. The, the challenge today with these teenagers and the world that they live in, for example, about 32% of Gen Z, basically 15 to 25, about 32% of them identify now as a member of the LGBTQIA plus community. Over 30%. Wow. In our lifetime, we've never seen it more than like 4%. So all of a sudden, now, now I do not believe for a second that actually that's an accurate percentage. I think a lot of them identify with that. Because that's a way for them in, in this Romans one twisted world to to actually it's like virtue signaling. Yeah. I'm open minded, I'm caring, I'm kind, I'm with you, I'll partner with you. That's why they're called allies. And when I ask in my classes, all these conservative Christian kids coming mostly, coming out of mostly conservative Christian families, how many of you, by show of hands, know somebody personally in the LGBTQIA plus arena? And it's always north of 80%. So then yeah. the question, the challenge I think they have back to what I said earlier is, is truth and grace. They, I just read something yesterday of a church saying, God is a God of love. God is love. And so if love is our number one word as Christians, then how, why in the world would a loving person go out and condemn so many of their neighbors? So they rearrange the language. They they misunderstand. So our students, our, our teenagers, are really struggling with this. I know what the truth is. And again, they need to learn how to critically get there on their own, not just parrot what we say. Mm -hmm. I know what the truth is, but when I speak the truth into this culture, they hate me. 
and I can see why. And so, but I'm, but I'm supposed to be loving. And so in order to be loving, wow, what do I do? And what I see most of them, because I'll do this in class all the time. I'll let Leslie, we'll make a point in any of my classes. And I'll say, how many of you would be willing to post that to social media tonight? And they all their eyes get big <laughs> and they're like, no way. And I'm like, why not? They're all, I would just get toasted. So what they do is they shrink yeah, and they get quiet, which actually is unloving. It's unloving to right. hide the truth, to put your light under a bushel is unloving. Well, exactly. Exactly. And so there's so much in what you just said, but I, even as you were talking, I thought, you know, you have spent all this time teaching these subjects to these kids, you know, not kind of putting a pin in your own family, which you taught as well, but, but at a larger, these kids through your radio show and that kind of thing, really instructing history, civics, ethics, all of these things. Why is it so important that we give our children a solid foundation in these subjects so that they can lovingly address where they find themselves living now? Yeah, so these are all things that accomplish a bunch of stuff at the same time, which is why I love these subjects. Civics, which we live in a nation of massive civic ignorance. So if you don't even know how the thing's supposed to work, you don't know what's going on. It's like being a, a, an agent, a federal agent that deals with counterfeit money. If you don't know what the real thing looks like, you don't know when you're being sold a counterfeit. Right. So civics is super important. And again, as a Christian, I'm like, you have to engage the political realm at the very least, prayer, then voting, and then maybe activism, then maybe even running for office, because you cannot ignore the fact that you have 340 million neighbors. You cannot ignore that. So you have a biblical obligation to seek the welfare of the city, Ezekiel, submit to the governing authorities, of course, Romans 13, and then to seek the best interest of your neighbor. You have an obligation to do that. So civics is the political way in which you can engage the nation in that arena. Christian ethics, which is not apologetics. Christian ethics, by the way, Leslie, my Christian ethics class, which is one semester, even my PowerPoint slides are directly out of my master's classes. Okay. I didn't wow. dumb any of this stuff down. It's it's what I got my master's degree in, ethics, theology, and culture. And I use the same slides, the same PowerPoint slides. Because I got to build them up theologically, which is the first six weeks of the class, get them thinking biblically, understanding scripture, a Christian worldview versus all the others, different religions, different ways of looking at ethics. Then we dive into the hot button issues of the day. And these are the issues that are splashed all over media, in conversation, in your house, on your phone all the time. So how do you engage these biblically, lovingly, courageously, and compassionately, patiently? and gently. And that's not easy. Right. It took me years to get to where I'm at now. So there's that. And in U.S. history, I picked specifically to start working on three years ago. This will be my third year teaching at this fall, because that is a battleground issue. Yes. And if you can, if you can get the culture and the masses to, to look at America a different way and look at it as an evil country, then the moral obligation is to deconstruct it and replace right. it. It's really twisted spiritually, which I love because that's the battle we're in. So U.S. history, the thing that shocked me about teaching U.S. history, Leslie, is how rich it is for discipleship. Because I tell my students on day one, first of all, I quote Solomon, there's nothing new under the sun. New news is old news happening to new people. I'm prepping all this summer for world history, which I start teaching in August. Same thing. 
<laughs> it's the same stuff over and over again because you're using the same basic materials, which is humans. And the Bible gives us great instruction on how we're going to treat each other. So that I tell them there's nothing new under the sun. They also, the other thing I tell them is as you study U.S. history, if your heart doesn't regularly break over some of the things in our past, there's yeah. something wrong with you. But on the other hand, if you can't put a pin in that and then turn around and go, now that's incredible. Wow. Where did that come from? Golly, how did they have the wherewithal to do that? Look at the developments of the 1800s alone. That's crazy. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, uh, you know, I know where that comes from. That's, that's some good image bearing going on there. So walking and chewing gum at the same time. And world history then allows you to put America in the context, which has been fascinating. I've, I've spent two hours reading earlier today. You put America in context. And then again, it just completely expands your ability to understand sin yeah. and the need for the gospel and a biblical worldview. And the answer to all the world's problems has been the same answer for 4,000 years. Right which is scripture. It's God's word. It's the spirit. It's the gospel. And so to me, that's all that stuff. That's where the culture is. That's where we're engaging people. That's a hot button battlefield. And it's just so rich from a discipleship. I feel like I'm in a playground <laughs> when I'm dealing with this stuff. I love what I do. And the kids come in. I'm like, how many of you are here? Because your parents made you come here and they raise their hands. And I don't, I don't lack an ego. So I tell them, hey, listen, within a couple of weeks, I guarantee you I'm going to be your favorite teacher. <laughs> and because you got a wild talk radio guy talking in class who's excited about the material and yeah. talking about a lot more than just history. But because I drop I, teaching in real time is what I call it. I drop the news in the class every day. So now everything's relevant. It matters. Right. It all comes alive. It's a blast. Right. I love it. Well, and actually, even as you were talking I was sitting there thinking how much, or I guess how impressed I am with this generation because maybe it's because of the glut of information they get. But I have found that these kids are not, they're not content for surface type information. You know, uh, you were talking no. about giving them your master slides. I was like, the, the conversations that we have around our dinner table with our kids' friends and everyone else who comes, the, we deep dive. These kids are hungry for more. They yeah. want to know the whys and wherefores, and they want to work it out. And I think that that is an incredibly hopeful thing if we as parents and teachers and someone will just get in there and feed them the right whys and wherefores so that they can build that foundation to go out and be ready to, to give an answer of their own. Yeah, and it has. I, I am not a fan of the phrase "safe spaces" yes. because of its connotations uh, on the college campus. But in my classroom, I use. I tell them this is a safe place. I want you to be comfortable saying things and asking questions in here. That number one, you would be afraid to ask at your youth group. You might even be afraid to bring them up at home because you're worried about getting blasted because you have some thoughts or some opinions that are outside the norm of our conservative Christian world. I'd rather you have that conversation here, and I'm not going to tell them. I don't want you to have it out there. Yeah, I don't want you to have it on your phone. The, the, what are they have a lot of information? What they don't have is a lot of wisdom and discernment. Right, like like almost none. So they have no ability to filter this 32 gigabytes of information that comes at them every single day. And as parents, this is one of the things I talked about at the convention. You don't really know exactly what's going on inside their head, especially when they get into the teen years. And as they get inundated with information and other perspectives and other worldviews and other opinions, 
they might be playing around with some of that stuff, but they'll rarely bring that up because they know what they're going to get. Well, for, for the most part, I'm sure there's some parents out there that are really good at listening. I wasn't. I was preaching. I was pontificating. I wasn't listening. And so they'll find somebody else that'll listen to them. They'll yeah. find some other community. So we have to be really careful to say, okay, because like our kids aren't shocked by anything. My wife and I see a gay character show up in a movie, in the movie theater, and we're like, oh, here we go again. They're always, and our kids, our youngest is 18 now. She's going off to college in a couple of weeks. She's like, you guys, why do you freak out so much about that? Because they didn't see the culture change. Right. That's normal for them. Right. It's not normal for you. It's not normal for me. So we've seen this shocking change over the course of 30 years. For our kids, it's normal. Yeah. So we really have to be better listeners and conversationalists and let them share, make it okay for them to share. We're on a journey. This is a destination. This is not a destination. They're not going to be exactly what you want them to be when they're 18. And and th that's a process there. We also have to trust the Lord and pray a lot. But I want to walk with them instead of doing this all with them. Well, exactly. And we also cannot allow the fear of all that is out there that they could stumble into, fall into, all of the dangers that are coming at them to keep us back from actually addressing right. these things and engaging in their lives in a way that is going to be helpful for them. Sure. Because I, it's a, that's a very easy pit as a parent to mm -hmm. fall into. We just, we allow the fear of all this stuff that we see to paralyze us when actually it should mobilize us and act, make us so passionate that we're going to get in there and, and right. equip them because ultimately we're raising them to launch out. We want them to be able to stand against all of this stuff rather than send them out there and, you know, wish them the best because we've, we've not engaged with them because we've been so afraid to talk about these things. Yeah, and that's a, a follow-up on something you just said. This is so important. Uh, to stand against all this stuff, we need to stand against unrighteousness. We need to stand against the lies of the world, the flesh, and the devil, while at the same time, and this took a while in my life, I, I am for, Jesus looked out at Jerusalem and he wept because he saw yeah. they were like sheep without a shepherd. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I look out at the masses across social media, whatever, the liberal masses, the LGBTQ community, whatever. So much of that, I, I look, I don't look out at those masses and weep because I see that they're like sheep without a shepherd. I look out at the masses and <laughs> I, I don't like them. I condemn right. them. I, I crack jokes about them. They disgust me. It's a freak show, whatever. That, that's not Jesus's reaction. I see yeah. this on the, on the radio show a lot. I say it in my classes a lot. I'm like, that, Dylan Mulvaney, the trans guy that was all involved in the Bud Light controversy. Mm -hmm. I show a picture. I might have showed it at the convention. I show a picture that's not all fancied up, a picture of uh, what he actually is, which is a grown man dressed up like a woman. And, and you see his razor stubble. You see his bad skin. And I'm like, listen, Jesus died for that guy as much as he died yeah. for me. Do you think Jesus is cracking a joke about that guy? <laughs> I think he's weeping over that guy. Yep. Do I ever? And that's the kind of stuff that I'll say in a room of parents, but I'll say it in a room full of 15 year olds too. And our 15 year olds smell a rat a mile away. Yeah. And when you're authentic like that and you're pushing back against what they see. And again, a lot of our teens see this, unfortunately, that my kids saw it in me, this disgust for the culture as opposed to a heart for the culture. So when I don't give them that, when I give them Jesus instead, 
Oh, I see it on their faces. They're like, this isn't something I did not expect. And they don't. I do the same thing with the lost culture. I know what they expect me to be. I don't give it to them. I'm way more likable than they expect me to be when I talk to them. <laughs> keep, them keep them guessing there. But yeah, yeah right. that just, once again, it kind of doubles us back to that gospel mindset. You know, everything that we do should be to lift up Jesus, to make him known and and to make make people desire to know him by the way that we live. If we are so brittle and harsh, we're never going to have a platform with anybody to tell them about our great God that loved them so much he sent his son to die for them. And ultimately, that is our call. We are called to tell them and to make disciples and we miss the boat when we are so laser focused on lesser things. Yep. And that's that type of messaging literally will show up in one way or another in my class every day. I tell my parents and I tell my students occasionally this too. I'm a big guacamole fan. I make pretty good guacamole. <laughs> to me, the tortilla chip is just a way to get the guacamole into my belly. Okay. Yep. So I, I tell parents, yeah, you your student's going to learn civics and they're going to learn U.S. history. They'll learn world history. They're going to learn uh, Christian ethics. But to me, the, the subject matter, the topic is the tortilla chip. Mm -hmm. The guacamole is the gospel and yep. discipleship and being able to walk this out in a way that's winsome, which again, I don't, I don't gauge my activities based on how the culture reacts to me. I know how they're going to react to me generally. So I'm not trying to win a popularity contest, although Jesus was intriguing to just about everybody because he was unpredictable and remarkably loving and compassionate. Mm -hmm. And I ask my students, I ask adults all the time, who did Jesus hammer? And there aren't many people that fit that bill other than the religious, self-righteous right. big mouths of the day, which oftentimes is right here. So that all goes into what I do. That's yep. all part of the mission. Yep. Yep. And I absolutely love the guacamole illustration. I think that, that <laughs> that's so pertinent for so many areas of our life. I will, I'll be chewing on that for a while. I promise. <laughs> so, well, Steve, we are out of time for today, but would you, before we go, would you tell everyone where they can find your show, where they can connect with you more, learn more about your online classes, that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So for all the class stuff, so I still teach in person. So I have four classes I teach right here in our home. I teach the same four classes down in the big church, the Shepherd's uh, Church here in town, Shepherd's Seminary, which is awesome. And then I have all four classes, U.S. History, World History, Civics. Those are all two semesters. Christian Ethics is one semester. They're all four online as well. So I'll never stop teaching in person because that's the class that my online students watch. They get the class okay. that I taught that week. I can't record civics and sell it for the next 10 years because I date the class every time yeah. I open my mouth. Right. Because I'm always talking about like the week that the Nashville shooting happened. That was in every one of my classes. <laughs> and civics this fall will be a little different than civics last fall because this yeah. fall we have a presidential primary. Going. Right. So the online students get the class I just taught. So it's always current. Uh, NobleUschool.com is where you go for all of that. Noble, N-O-B-L-E, you like university, com. You find all that information there. Radio show, just look up the Steve Noble show. That's it. Okay. You're going to find all kinds of links. Podcast is available on every major podcast. I'm also like we're doing 
recording and video. I, I do Facebook Live and Rumble at the same time that we're doing the radio show. And you can listen to the radio show online and get the podcast so you can join in my Star Wars themed studio, <laughs> Facebook or uh, or Rumble. So yeah, I'm a very active person. You know, I'm still doing radio five days a week, but I'm teaching wow. three days a week. Wow. So, so I have a pretty wild schedule. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. But that's those are the places. NobleUseSchool.com and just look up the Steve Noble Show and you can find it. Okay. And we'll make sure that we link all of those things in the show notes as well to make it super easy in case you didn't quite hear what he had to say. So again, Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been just a joy. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thank you, Leslie. For everybody else, thank you guys for joining us as well. You know, we say every single week, the Great Commission begins right at home. And as you are shepherding the hearts of your children, as you are engaging in conversations that are helping them make sense of what's going on in the world around them, helping them understand how to think biblically about what they say in the culture, and then helping them to understand that Jesus loves every person because they are created in his image, whether they're making decisions that honor him or not. God still loves them. And as a believer, we are called to go and tell them about Jesus's love and make disciples. So let's go out and prepare our children to do that very well today. And really, I hope that a lot of what Steve has talked about will get a hold of your heart as a parent and that you'll evaluate how you're engaging with the culture as well, because there's always room for all of us to grow in that too. So have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining me today. It's my prayer that every episode of the Homeschooling Families podcast helps to strengthen your family by giving you biblical and practical ways to raise your children and educate them well. We'd love to engage with you more. So check out teachthemdiligently.net to find out about the resources and experiences we offer Christian homeschooling families like yours all year long. I want to take just a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and a whole lot more. Mm -hmm.